What up, world? Welcome back to Locked On Blazers. I am Mike Richmond of NBC Sports, your friendly neighborhood basketball nerd. It is Wednesday, February 13th, and we're talking buyout market big man. That's right. Ennis Cantor of many places, including most recently the New York Knicks, has agreed to sign for the rest of the season with the Blazers. This is the big news of the day. Portland had a empty roster spot to fill after the two-for-one trade that sent Wade Baldwin and Nick Stauskas, well, a lot of places, but specifically Cleveland for Rodney Hood. Uh, they've chosen to fill that roster spot, not with Carmelo Anthony, sorry to all my Mellow fans out there, but with Ennis Cantor. And uh, before we get into sort of how he fits and what this means for the for the roster, which we will do later in the podcast, let me take you back in the Wayback Machine. In the summer of 2015, I the the Blazers had just signed restricted free agent Ennis Cantor to a massive $70 million contract. Uh, this was before the summer of 2016, so at the time it was even gigantic. Uh, a little bit crazy for someone who maybe projects mostly as a backup center, a non-defensive big man who can score and rebound, but doesn't do a lot of the things that you'd want a starting center to do, like protect the rim and control little guys in pick and rolls. Uh, I assume that this was a stick-it-to-him contract offered by the Blazers, that they were signing Cantor to a massive deal in order to drive up the price of Oklahoma City's roster, which at that time still included Kevin Durant. And I asked a member of the Blazers front office, is this for real? Assuming that, uh, you know, they'd say, no, we're just messing with with OKC. Uh, at the time, they said, no, no, we really like Ennis Cantor. We, we love, we, you know, we like what he can do. He can really help. This is going to be, you know, this is a useful, a useful part. Uh, we're going to, this is a, this is a nice little, a, a nice little addition to our roster. And at the time I didn't report it, uh, because the news that Blazers like player, they just gave $70 million to actually kind of fits the script. It wasn't new news. I wasn't, uh, of course they liked him because it was a $70 million contract. They just offered him, but I'll tell you what, I did not believe it. <laughs> I didn't believe it for a moment. So I let, I, you know, talking with, uh, this particular person, I said, thanks for the info. I'll go back to doing what I do, which is report on the team, and I'll wait the 72 hours and figure out whether Oklahoma City matches. They did. The Thunder matched. Uh, they didn't end up keeping Cantor, of course. They ended up trading him to the Knicks in exchange for Carmelo Anthony some two and a half seasons later, three seasons later. But uh, it goes to show you that at the time, the source who said the Blazers do like Ennis Cantor wasn't lying because they certainly liked him enough to add him to an already crowded front court mix. Um, I think this is just another example of Neil Olshay really liking his guys. This is something he has done across a variety of different areas, you know, whether it's re-signing Al Farouk Aminu with the Blazers after drafting him with the Clippers, or if uh, it's doubling down on free agent signing Mo Harkless or giving Myers Leonard a contract that no one else in the NBA was probably going to offer him. If if you are Neil's guy, uh, extending CJ McCollum a summer early actually probably could fall under that same uh, that that same banner. Although at the time it was a good deal for McCollum, but if you are Neil's guy, if you are an Olshay, if you are an Olshay guy, which increasingly the team is filled with Olshay guys, 
he will bring you back into the mix. He will, he, if he likes you in his evaluation, uh, he will absolutely include you in his future plans. Uh, I think when he traded for Noah Vonley, uh, in the Nick Batum deal, Noah Vonley told me that Neil had scouted him as a high schooler at Adidas camp and had talked to him then and said that he had really liked him since he was a, a 16 year old at that Adidas camp. So this is just, um, Ennis Cantor is just a classic Neil guy. Uh, he, he, you know, he fits the bill. He fits the Blazers bill. Uh, he'll, he, he comes to a front court that's pretty crowded. I want to talk about more about Cantor's fit and why the Blazers like him a little bit later on in the podcast, but just really quickly before we get there, which, uh, which we will, uh, this is the fifth center, depending on how you want to categorize, uh, Zach Collins to join the Blazers roster. Yusuf Nurkic isn't losing his starting spot, so beyond Yusuf Nurkic, uh, the Blazers now have Ennis Kanter, Myers Leonard, who is a true five, doesn't play four basically ever, uh, Zach Collins, who's probably a future as a as a center, although maybe right now he's best at kind of a a tall, a long power forward, and the Blazers just fl- flipped short center, short stout center Caleb Swanigan for skinny center Scal Labissiere at the deadline. So Ennis Cantor's joining a crowded front court rotation. Um, he's a true, true center. So it's if you're if you're just scoring at home, the Blazers probably have three true, true centers that have trouble playing together and uh, and limited space, limited guys who, who can play for real power forward outside of Alfaruq Aminu. So uh, we'll see how he fits in. Uh, Cantor probably will... F- will end up as a second unit center of some sort, a second unit big man of some sort. And uh, for a bench that has struggled a little bit in, in the recent past to find consistent offense, I think he's valuable there. But uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Canner's fit, how the Blazers see him fitting in, what they like about him, and what this means at, for the rest of the roster in terms of numbers crunch. Because like we've already seen, Terry Stotts has played 11 guys over the last three games, and they just added a 12th man to that group. All right, and we're back. Uh, I guess the big question is sort of where does Ennis Cantor fit? Uh, I think Terry Stotts answered that question about as clearly as you could possibly have imagined. And it's the way that, honestly, if you've been paying attention to the way these moves the Blazers have been making have sort of impacted the roster, it, it makes total sense. And, and Terry Stotts told uh, the media today uh, when the Blazers played the Golden State Warriors that Ennis Cantor was going to play the backup five minutes, and he would easily slot into the rotation. Uh, and why I say if you've been paying attention, that makes sense, because the Blazers, you know, obviously the Scal Lebissier addition uh, was an end-of-the-bench type addition. They just wanted to, to get rid of Caleb Swanigan and bring in another young guy who uh, has one less year remaining on that rookie deal, and they can get out from under. He remains cheap. Uh, it's, a, it's a controlled asset they can abandon. But with... Like the Rodney Hood trade, this was trading for someone who was, they, they wanted to play and play right away and be a impactful member of the roster immediately. Uh, and this is the same with the Ennis Cantor signing. They did not sign him to be uh, sort of part of the rotation. They signed him specifically, and if you believe the reports uh, from Adrian Wojnarowski and uh, a couple others out there, they sold an Escanter on playing time, and so they're going to slot him into those backup center minutes. I think you can peg him in for 22 to 28 minutes a night. 
uh, depending on sort of matchups and what and and, and what he's giving you. But in that in that middle twenties range, uh, which means that someone has to get pinched. Uh, right now, Stotts is playing ten guys and sometimes eleven, alternating between whether Zach Collins plays or Myers Leonard plays those backup. Uh, center spot that he hasn't played them together since the Rodney Hood acquisition. So I think what is really going to change the sort of specific change, the big change we're going to see is that now with the addition of Cantor, I don't think Zach Collins plays most nights. I think Myers Leonard is uh, going to be glued to the bench pretty much indefinitely. Uh, he's going to be a break the glass type of emergency center. I can't imagine that he's, he's involved. Uh, so the, what, the Blazers not only would they would they make this deal to or would they sell Cantor on hey you you can play here they wouldn't have made this deal if they didn't sort of if the front office didn't look at the roster and say we could use a guy who's a high level offensive rebounder and a and a a good scorer and put him in that second unit right away and go uh so he's he's he he's in there. He's going to play. He's going to play a bunch. He's immediately a a just a mainstay and a staple of the rotation. And Terry Stotts, who is is pretty resistant to talk about who plays and when, said right away today when when asked, he's going to play. He said he was asked on two separate occasions, pregame and postgame, because uh, some reporters kind of missed him the first time around. So he had to go back and say it a second time. Is that he? Cantor's definitely going to play. He's he's part of the plan. He's part of the plan specifically as a backup five. Uh, obviously, I think it's basically impossible to play him next to Nurkic. Uh, I saw that floated on the internet somewhere. It's an it's an insane idea. Neither of them is even close to a power forward. The Blazers don't really have a four on there. But I I think the addition causes a challenge to the rotation because there was already an issue with with sort of who plays and when. Uh, trying to figure out more minutes for Steph Curry, trying or Seth Curry, excuse me, trying to figure out more minutes for Seth, trying to figure out more minutes for Rodney Hood, trying to figure out those minutes for Jake Lehman, while still balancing playing time for Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, who mainstays of that starting lineup. Uh, and it's it only gets trickier with Cantor in there because there are times when the versatility of what Myers Leonard brings as a really good screen setter and a three-point shooter is more valuable. And there are times when the sort of defensive energy and uh, I don't know how to say it without swearing, but uh, the jerkiness of Zach Collins is really valuable. Sort of the energy he brings and the swagger he brings are, are really valuable. But, but those are going away because... Cantor's going to play, and he's going to play a bunch. Uh, I think where you're going to see his biggest impact, and I think you saw it early in the year, and maybe it's drawn off a little bit, is as an offensive rebounder. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic was, early in the year, just absolutely on fire with offensive rebounds. The Blazers specifically don't... Terry, Terry Stotts, like I say, I don't coach offensive rebounding. What he coaches is sprinting back in transition defense. The Blazers aren't a particularly good uh, trans, uh, transition defense team. When when people run against them, they do well. But uh, he he you know he's he's telling everybody to sprint back unless you are a very good offensive rebounder. And in the way that Ed Davis was an elite level offensive rebounder when keep possessions alive, I think Ennis Cantor can can bring that. I think that's the dynamic. That's sort of the game changing thing that he's going to do. That's going to help this team, change this team, uh, however you want to say it. Uh, 
you know, we saw Nurk do that early in the year. He was the guy who wasn't getting back and would chase offensive rebounds. I think Cantor does that with his second unit. I think he adds um, he adds some force and he adds some some offensive ability. And as Evan Turner pointed out today, the thing he likes most about Cantor is that you don't have to necessarily call plays for him. He called him self-sufficient. He's someone who can go get points on his own, go get rebounds on his own, go get buckets on his own. I think that's helpful to the Blazers' second unit because they're not that particular group doesn't call a ton of plays. Terrence Tots calls a fair amount of plays. Uh, Damian Lillard calls maybe 85% of the plays when he's game when he's in the game and Stotts generally speaking is a coach who likes to call plays. But with that second unit uh they run more just out of flow stuff, random actions. They they try to run more, get out in the open court, and sort of utilize what makes Evan Turner good, which is his improvisation. And I think in many ways, Cantor helps with that because of just sort of the hustle offensive stuff he does and, and, and the, the random one-on-one scoring he can provide if you get mismatches or if you just get uh, a center that can't sort of handle how burly he is. Um, that's not to say that Ennis Cantor doesn't have some deficiencies. And I think that's going to be um, something that will come to bear here uh, for the Blazers. They um, adding, they've leaned on Myers Leonard and Zach Collins alternatively because Collins is a better defensive player, although he's has dealt with some foul trouble. And Myers Leonard is a better offensive player, maybe not just individual score necessarily, but he's a really good screen setter, really good shooter, as I mentioned before. So Stotts has kind of uh, balanced sort of, if it's a bigger, burlier five, he'll go, he'll go Myers. If it's a sort of stretchier, more mobile center, he'll go with Collins. Uh, if you scrap both those dudes and you just say Cantor is the guy night in and night out, the issue is that he's, he's just not a, a, a good player pick and roll defender. He he he's going to he's going to get hunted by second units in pick and rolls. The question is can he feast enough? Can they be efficient enough offensively? Can they pick up enough points offensively with uh Hood and Layman and and uh Seth Curry and 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 uh Evan Turner running point around him that their offensive good enough to beat on beat up on second units and not get picked on uh in pick and rolls too much. I'm I, I can't imagine situations where Cantor closes games. I think that's where you might see uh Nurkic or Zach Collins or whatever close play in the fourth quarter. But I do think that sort of middle of the third quarter, middle of the second quarter stretches when teams go to their benches is when Cantor's gonna feast. And I think he can be really valuable. We'll talk more about sort of how his how his entering the rotation could impact the Blazers when we get back from the break. All right, and we're back. Uh, tonight, this uh, Wednesday evening, the Blazers uh, got their final win heading into the All-Star break, 129-107 over the Warriors. Uh, this was a meaningful win for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, because I don't think the Warriors really cared about it, so it was good for the Blazers to win a game in which their uh, a high-level opponent was sort of half-engaged and already one foot in vacation. But it was also important because... The Blazers' rotation concerns, rotation uh, challenges came into focus even more specifically in this game than they have in the uh, four other games or three other games in the the Rodney Hood era. Uh, This is post-trade deadline era for the Blazers. Um, Might even be four deep 
after after the Rodney Hood era. Now that I think about it, but nonetheless, let's let's get down to the brass tacks here. Uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, Terry Stotts tonight, as the Blazers were pulling away from the Blazers, he rode a hot bench unit. Um, he stayed with Turner and Curry and Lehman and Hood and Zach Collins. Through the most of the fourth quarter, that group played really well, even as the Golden State Warriors brought their starters back in uh, and, and went, you know, they're basically the best lineup in the NBA, which is uh, DeMarcus Cousins didn't play tonight, and I think that might have been a, a sort of a curious challenge for the Blazers, but, you know, the the other four All-Stars that make Golden State so, 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 so good. And Stotts uh, kind of rode the hot hand tonight. He stayed with he stayed with Curry, who played really well in the second half. He stayed with Lehman, who went scoreless in that first half. Had 17 after halftime. He stayed with Hood because of uh, the, sort of the the height he had to challenge Kevin Durant and sort of and the, his his spacing and, and playmaking ability. And uh, and he rode with Evan Turner until after the five minute mark. I think Damian Lillard didn't check in the game until it was about four and a half minutes left. It was pretty late in uh, the general rule. I actually sat there on press row and I said, where the heck is Damian Lillard? Like what can, is Terry not paying attention to the time? Um, but you know, that bench unit had played well and, and Collins played the center spot and then uh, Nurkic didn't get back in. So only one starter played in the fourth quarter for the Blazers tonight. And I think that kind of crystallizes the the challenges for for the roster, uh, like I've been, I mentioned in the last segment, Stas has been toying with kind of eleven guys. He wants to play ten, but he's like struggled with matchups and and kind of figuring out who plays where and who plays with who, and he's mix and match. And he's gone to eleven guys in three of the last four games. Certainly not his preference. I think he would like to play nine guys when we get to the playoffs. I think nine would be his number. Uh, it's it's who do you leave out in that nine uh, and. If I had to guess, Seth Curry is the guy you leave out on that nine right now, but he played well enough tonight to earn those minutes. But why I think this matters in light of Cantor is because this was a night where Stotts rode the hot hand. He said after the game that, you know, five or six minutes left, he's kind of looking down the end of the bench, planning to bring his starters back, but watching his bench play well, and just and he decides to ride it out. So CJ McCollum, arguably Blazers' second best player, although I would call him their third, uh, didn't get back in the game. Yusuf Nurkic didn't get back in the game. Uh, starting forwards, Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu. Aminu didn't get back in the game. He had guarded uh, Kevin Durant for a lot of the night. He didn't get back in the game. Harkless had spent some time on Durant and Clay Thompson. He didn't get back in the game. Um, so I, I think even with the addition of Cantor, when you bring in sort of the like the Cantor factor, uh we could see some games like this, although, like I mentioned in the uh, in the previous segment, is that I, I think Cantor's defensive liabilities make him unlikely to really close out stretches of games against a lot of opponents. Maybe against some games where it's just a straight up shootout, you roll with a with whichever center between him and Nurkic is just having a better offensive night. And since they're relatively similar in their skills, although Nurkic is a much better passer, you uh, you you know you can kind of just ride whichever one that is, but. I think this is going to be the challenge for Terry Stotts down the stretch is that it's not just penciling in here's your 10th guy with Cantor. It's it's that he really has kind of the back half of the bench is kind of flat in terms of their their production. Um, and I don't mean that that they don't, aren't contributors. I mean that like on any given night, the sort of difference between what Al Farouk Aminu might give you in his final nine minutes to close the game versus what Rodney Hood versus what Seth Curry will give you. Obviously, those players play different positions, but you understand the point. In terms of production, might 
waiver. So he has to to make sort of judgment calls in the moment. Um, and it's harder to have a sort of strict at the seven minute mark in the fourth quarter, your butt's coming out and we're bringing the other guys in and we're going to close with this is our closing group. I think night to night, it might change a little bit more than it has in the past. And why I think that's a challenge, uh, and that that's the word I, I'd like to use um, because I think it illustrates my point, is, is that NBA players struggle without with not knowing um, their roles. I think that that there could be some chippiness. I know that Seth Curry has kind of been frustrated recently with um, his playing time after the Rodney Hood edition. Obviously, uh, there's this clamoring to play Mo Harkless less minutes, although he played pretty well against the Warriors and kind of held his own. Uh, obviously, Alfred Camino, a starter and sort of an entrenched part of this core over the last four seasons. Uh, probably thinks he belongs in that same unit. And I think the the challenge for Stotts isn't the X's and O's and who fits against who. It's going to be managing the personalities. I think there is um, this idea that the Blazers have this sort of sterling chemistry that can't be broken. But uh, NBA players care about minutes. They care about roles. They care about shots. Even teams that get along ostensibly like the Trailblazers care about those things. So I think there's a real challenge. Uh, coming up here. And I, I think that's going to be the curious thing coming out of the All-Star break and integrating Cantor is not just the X's and O's, who plays against who, who's a better fit against which team, but but can you keep everybody happy? Because somebody's going to end up unhappy. And I think uh, there's some obvious guys who do well on happy. Myers Leonard has dealt with sitting and watching more. He's a guy you can leave out and you can't lo- and you won't lose sort of how mentally engaged he'll be and how prepared he'll be. But if, if Seth Curry doesn't play a ton of minutes, if Al Farouk Aminu continuously misses fourth quarters in order to play Rodney Hood and Jake Lehman, does he still stay engaged? Uh, you know, if Rodney Hood isn't the guy after being uh, involved, does, does he get frustrated? And I, I think, um, to me, the curious part of, of, of what happens, although I'm an X's and O's guy, I'm sort of a nerd who fits with who lineup data kind of driven analytical person, I think the, the personalities behind it and the, the sort of human emotion that obviously comes with integrating new parts and having 12 guys who have a sort of a stake in, in I should play for this pretty good playoff level team, uh, I think it'll be curious. I think it's a real challenge for Stotts. Um, I'm not sure it's something that he sort of excels at. You know, he's a pretty good sort of communicator, but uh, one of the best ways to, to make a guy like you is to put him in the game. And one of the hardest, one of the quickest ways to make a guy not like you is to sit him on the bench. So I think there's a challenge coming for Terry. I think Cantor only adds to that challenge. I think Hood added to that challenge. When you add two new players who are sort of guaranteed spots in the rotation without losing any other rotation players, uh, it puts the coaching staff in a, in a tough spot. Um, this is uh, this is how you earn your money, is you figure out who plays and when, and you figure out how to keep everyone who is not playing happy. Uh, that's probably going to do it for this episode. I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Keep shooting me tweets at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Uh, I loved your feedback. Uh, hopefully I get the levels of the audio a little bit better on this episode. Obviously, I'm uh, I'm still learning the ropes three episodes in. Uh, and I'll kind of try to keep these coming. Pretty soon, we're going to have Jason Quick on. Uh, I'll solicit some questions on Twitter. But if you have any questions for me or Quick, obviously, he's been around the Blazers for 20 seasons. He's seen, a, he's seen absolutely everything there is to see. He's got some great stories. Uh, but I'm going to have Quick on later this week. 
uh, either Thursday or Friday. Uh, this this episode is going to come out Thursday morning, so I'll probably this pro- if I get quick on it'll be it'll be uh, Friday morning. I'm hoping to do that. But uh, shoot me your questions for us. Uh, you know, keep following along. Subscribe. The Lockdown Blazers is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, everybody, you name it, we're on there. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk again soon.